Born in Fort Worth, Texas, 1922, Dickies is the world's leading performance workwear brand. They made for the makers then, and they make for the makers now, creating goods as hardworking and as honest as the people who wear them. They know that across the trades they support, there are many people who are really passionate about their jobs, and their exclusive makers campaign is a way to celebrate that. James from Harbour Brewing says owning a brewery is being a craftsman. It's not about seeing yourself as being wholly original or wholly new. It's about being in a lineage of craftspeople who produce things not only because they love it, but they respect the tradition and the skills it takes. Visit dickiesworkwear.com or follow the full story on Instagram, Dickies Workwear Official. Last night, for the first time in over three months, the bedroom windows were closed. There was a midnight fight for the duvet, and about 3 a.m., our dog pushed between my wife and me and got under the covers. Summer is over, and so too is the desire for pilsners, lagers, and kettle sours. Instead, my taste buds are thinking of something richer and more complex, a good stout or porter. Hi, I'm your host, Vela Mitrovich, and you're listening to Review Media's The Brewer's Journal Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the dark side. Is there really any difference between porters and stouts? And types of each. Then, hold on to your hats, because you'll be hearing some of the secrets and techniques of noted dark beer brewer and extremely nice guy, Colin Strong, now head brewer at Salt Beer Factory, who was speaking at the last Brewers Congress when he was at Northern Monk. Once upon a time, about a thousand years ago, back when I was a young drinker in the USA, if you wanted to impress a date, you ordered a Michelob Classic Dark, and if you were really going to pull out all stops, you'd put a sprinkle of salt in it. Truth be told, the beer wasn't very good, and it's not being made anymore. But there wasn't much choice back then if you wanted dark. Good luck finding Guinness on tap. And Guinness in a bottle? Well, let's just say, I think that's put many a person off from going to Ireland. Before you all start nodding your heads at how backwards the USA was back then, things weren't much better here 20 to 30 years ago, except you could easily find Guinness on tap. But that was all back then, in the days of Vikings. Now you can find wonderful dark beers to make you wonder why anybody wants an overhoppy IPA. Now, let's get the big question out of the way so your pulse rate can go back to normal. Is there a difference between porters and stouts? Over the last three months, I've been treated for oral cancer. Thus, my difficulty in saying that letter found between Q and S. When my surgeon doesn't want to vocally answer a question, she answers by raising an eyebrow. A tough question gets two eyebrows. The question regarding porters and stouts would not only get two eyebrows, but would also get a sucking in of air 
And then, uh, hmm, let's be honest here. I'm actually surprised countries haven't gone to war over this debate. If you put this question in Google, you'll get 1,360,000 results. I'm not kidding. The problem is, over the last 10 to 15 years, the names have become pretty much interchangeable when categorizing darker beers thanks to you crafty craft brewers. The first reference to Porter gets a mention in 1721 London with more references towards the end of the 18th century. It's believed that it was first created by a barman at a London pub who combined three different beers together, probably a lot like a kid of McDonald's self-serving fountain, mixing Coke, Orange Fanta, and Sprite together. However, unlike the kids' drink, the barman's proved popular, and some brewer reverse-engineered it, ultimately creating the first mass-produced beer. What made it so popular was, unlike most London beers, which are sent to the pubs young and required aging, Porter didn't. <sighs> what they called this brew? Hmm. He was very popular with Thames River Porters and others in the hoisting trade. Hey, and Porter became its name. Brewmasters, being brewmasters, loved tweaking recipes and came out with a porter with a higher alcohol content. Hmm, so to differ in name from a regular porter, I know this called porter stout. As more tweaking went on, increasing the alcohol content, you soon had single porter stout, double porter stout, and triple stout. What makes you wonder how many crates got accidentally dropped into the Thames by drunk porters. Today, according to the Beer Judge program, a stout is defined as a, a very dark, roasty, bitter, creamy ale, while porter is described as a substantial, multi-dark ale with a complex and flavorful character. This sounds like they're splitting hairs. To me, a stout has more coffee flavors than a porter due to the use of roasted barley, but at the end of the day, brewers use what they want and call things what they want. I can't imagine anyone going to a pub, enjoying a porter, and then complaining it was really more of a stout. When I look at marketing in the stouts out there, including oatmeal stout, milk stout, dry stout, imperial stout, bourbon barreled aged stout, cherry stout, chocolate stout, coffee stout, and who could forget oyster stout, the name porter just doesn't seem to have the same pull. I think too when people hear porter, they don't think of the person lug in a bag, but instead port wine. With the dark color of porter, this isn't that far-fetched. Let's do an extremely quick rundown of the main types of the two beverages, starting with stout. But first, let me put this in. Again, checking with my good buddy Google, it lists 230,000 results for the names of stout, which is why peanut butter milk stout will not get a specific mention, along with about one zillion others. So let's begin. Irish stout, called by many a meal and a glass. Hey, but this is only if you're on a diet. Despite the mm of flavor, a Guinness has the same calories as Bud Light and a low ABV of 4.2%. Milk or cream stout. Put sugar in your beer and all you get is a beer with a higher ABV. However, yeast cannot ferment lactose, the sugar found in milk. Lactose makes stout smooth, sweet, and rich, like having a milkshake. Chocolate stout. Before, a flavor was just a product of 
deeply roasted malt, now some brewers are putting actual chocolate in their chocolate stouts. Whichever way, it tastes the same. Brilliant. Oatmeal stout. Because oats have more protein than malted barley, it gives the stout a smooth, silky body, like getting a hug from a beer mug. American stout. It has a higher alcohol content and, surprise, surprise, has more of a hops presence. Wow, who would have seen that coming? Russian Imperial Stout, about as dark as midnight, originally brewed in London as a high-alcohol export to the Baltic states and Russia. With porters, there are three main types. Brown, made in the traditional English style that has a maltier aroma and usually a chocolate toffee or nutty flavor. It has a softer feel and lower levels of alcohol than the other porters. Robust. With robust, you get a lot more black malt taste than a brown porter. Baltic. This started out as an English porter before the influence of Russian imperial stouts got to it. This doesn't use black malt, so the flavor isn't as burnt or rich as the other porters. Like its stout counterpart, its alcohol content is high, ranging up to 9% or higher. Much higher. So, I've talked about stouts and porters, but not about how they're made. For this, I'm turning over the podcast to brewer Colin Strong, speaking at the last Brewers Congress. I've been asked to speak at Dark Beers, but all I can really tell you is sort of my, my take on them, and uh, these, are, these are some of the things I consider when we're coming together. So, um, we're thinking of modern styles. When talking about stouts these days, most people are, especially talking about imperial stouts, people are generally thinking of sort of big flavored pastry stouts. Um, obviously, when you're putting the recipe together, this is something you're going to want to think about uh, to make sure that the, the malt bill and the um, water chemistry all, are all lending themselves to a big full-bodied beer that's going to carry those flavors. If, if the beer is too light or too thin, the flavorings will just cut through them, leave you can come across as making the beer seem reedy and light, when what you really want is a big kind of sugar addition. Um, so, let's say, so you want looking for uh, full-bodied styles, uh, a depth of flavor. Generally, you're trying to achieve this by, like I was saying before, using layering of um, usually, I usually try and use either two carat and one crystal, or two crystal, one carat, depending on the beer, beer we're looking at, um, just to create those sort of layers of flavor. So there are other things kind of adding to it as well. You're not just, you haven't just kind of got the dark roast flavors or, or the big body, that, that, those layers help create, uh, create a, I've described my favorite Imperial States as spherical before, but that, which I think just sort of no edges and that the balance create, creates a, a, a rounded product almost. Your final gravity, I've touched on a couple of times here. Um, there's probably been a, a curve, a curve, not even a curve, just a, a graph of a, of a distinct straight line from when I started making Imperial Stouts. I think um, chocolate marble, well, while we were there, was probably, probably the finishing gravity was around like 10.15, 10.16, somewhere right there. Now, I, th I think the final gravity on death was intended to be 32. Last year's overshot that a little bit, but we're working on that. So um, you're looking for a little bit of sweetness in this as well. Um, the, the, again, especially if, if you're attempting to make sort of a... Uh, um, pastry stout that you want it to be sweet in a full-bodied way without being sort of saccharine sweet or, or sugary um, so again to create that rounded balance to the beer and then adjunct additions um, if that is what you're going to do then all of these previous points 
uh, need to be really considered to make sure that the body and the flavors of the beer carry and are sort of leaning or already towards the types of things that you're going to be adding later on. And then balance, which obviously is the mark of all great beer. Um, so the focus on pastry states again. That depth of flavor, so uh, a mix of malts, like I've mentioned several times now, we're going on, trying to use, we use a lot of oats and wheat to kind of give big creamy mouthfeel. Um, and also to, to, to make that sort of big, big sort of rounded feel, feel into the beer to back up any sweetness and also to mask it a little bit so you're not ending up with something that is quite sweet. So you're creating depth to carry, the, carry those flavors along. Um, the base depth to the flavor profile um, so that, that the, the actual beer itself tastes of something and you're not just left with the flavorings. You, you need, need the two to kind of work hand in hand. Um, creating body again to, to give you the, that, that big nice fullness. Um, your mash temperature becomes a big consideration. Obviously if you're looking for uh, high finishing gravities, um, you're going to want to be pushing those up to, to, into the sort of 67, 68. Uh, if you are using a high percentage of dark malts, um, like in a, lot, a lot of our beers will tend to sort of aim around, around the 20% mark for, for our dark additions. Usually about 10% of that will be chocolate or, and then using the uh, sort of crystallized malts to create the balance in between. But the mash temperature obviously then has to reflect that and sort of allow for how much dextrin those malts are going to leave in the beer, creating that sort of sweetness and finish. Um, any sugar additions that you make, and a, a, lot of, a lot of our beers personally are made with... Um, with lactose at the moment. Uh, this helps give, give that sort of, it's become almost like a synonymous flavor, I think in a lot of ways with pastry stouts, so that it, 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 it gives that, that sort of sweet roundness with a little bit of a milky finish, which helps give that sort of perception of creaminess as well. Um, and more fermentable sugars for the ABV. Um, on that front, we're talking sort of dextrose, uh, or we sometimes add uh, demerara or uh, muscovado sugars to give like an, another layer to the flavor. Um, and then lactose and maltodextrin for the body or sweetness. Obviously one of the considerations you've got to make with that is uh, diabetes and kind of driving people a bit too much sugar in their diet. But um, <laughs> some people go a bit over the top with that, we're gonna work on it. Um, your water chemistry is obviously very, very important as well to creating the, the big rounded mouthfeel of it. So in sulfate heavy water, best for big sweet dark beers helps give give a little bit of that creaminess help help hold the uh, the roast up together um, so Edinburgh and London water profiles both quite hard in slightly different ways uh, I think London works seems to work best with porters I'm very lucky to sort of try some fuller's beers last night they're tasting absolutely phenomenal and Edinburgh as well a lot of the Scottish beers that do get uh, a really really excellent mouthfeel fullness of flavor and roundness and somewhere between the two seems to work very very nicely um, bicarbonate soda is something we've only recently st started working working with more to help bring that pH up and help help provide a little bit more of that mouthfeel that you're looking for. So what it all comes back to is balance. At the, at the end of the day, like I say, that it's kind of that is the mark of great beer. At the end of the day, is that it's a delicious. B you want to come back and have another one, but that that is created by having balance in your beer. <coughs> Um, so I was going to throw this out, but I wasn't quite prepared for how many of you there were going to be. So, uh, what is your favourite dark beer? Do you want to shout? Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my personal choice is, uh, and this is quite a recent find for me. Um, I've often made the, made this sort of running joke that. Uh, that I grew up and I really started making good stouts because I grew up in the land of Guinness. Um, 
But to be honest, I'd never had the foreign extra stout, and I found four bottles of it in a B&M Bargains in Matlock about three years ago. And I'd shoved them in a cupboard somewhere, and I was like, I'll taste them a year. I wanted to do a bit of an aging project with them. And I found them. We recently moved house, and they kind of got unearthed. Um, so I opened uh, my first bottle, expecting them to be pretty dusty and a bit beat up, but it was tasting pretty phenomenal. Um, so the re recipe, the original recipe for this beer is traceable to 1801. Um, it's, it's really full-bodied. Uh, it, it's Despite its age, it's, it's held up very nicely. I think the, the final gravity was like 1018, but obviously the, the sort of Dublin water chemistry has given it like, like a, a good rounded uh, character. It's got really distinct roast malt character, um, which is something that as sort of in brewing stout at the moment, we've sort of tried to move away from and sort of reduce the, the roast barley uh, to increase the chocolate malt to kind of take, take some of the edginess off. But it was opening this, so I was like, oh man, I really like that edginess. Why have I started to move away from it so much? Uh, it's got a really pronounced lactic tang, uh, like a slightly sour note um, that I, I just think it's from Ireland. So, so sorry. Um, but in many ways, I think it's almost the perfect craft beer for today, in a way. If it was made by a much smaller brewery um, with sort of uh, sort of historical connotations of, of, a, of a massive brewery like that, I think it'd probably be earmarked as one of the, uh, the absolute best beers in the world. I hope this has been enlightening for you. Brewers on both sides of the pond are doing amazing things with porters and stouts right now, with flavors that blow me away. Any good brewer can do an IPA, but to make a biscuit-flavored stout? Now that's amazing. The next Brewer's Lecture will be held in Bristol on 10 October, and the Big Kahuna, the Brewer's Congress, will be held on 28 November in London. For more information on these, this is the Brewer's Journal webpage. I'd like to thank Colin Strong, our sponsors, and most of all, you, our brewing compadres, for listening in. This has been Vela Mitrovic, and you've been listening to the Brewer's Journal Podcast.